0: So would you open God's precious holy word to Deuteronomy chapter five and we're going to begin in uh, verse 11. We'll look at the last two of the first four of the 10 commandments. Of course, these are a repeat by Moses to the children of Israel who are about to cross the Jordan. Just before Moses' death, his last uh, ministry to them. This is the second of his three lectures or speeches or sermons. To this generation, the older generation that came out of Egypt, they're gone. They died for their disobedience. And so these, this younger generation, are filled with vim and vigor and they are ready to cross and to occupy the land. They're very uh, enthusiastic about it. So Moses is going back over things, as you know. We've already seen he has, uh, in his earlier lecture, reviewed the disobedience of another generation and the experiences that they had and the lessons that were learned that must be carried with this younger generation uh, into the land of Canaan. And he's come to the point where he is reviewing the 10 commandments the first four commandments have to do with man's relationship to god the last six commandments have to do with man's relationship to man and these are these two tonight are the last two of those first four our relationship to god the first the next one that we look at and the first one we see tonight is about the honor that we should give to the name of god god's name We begin here in uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, uh, the importance of honoring God's name. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. You shall not, uh, let's see, Uh, my cataracts are acting up here. There it is, a little clearer. Can you see how much clearer that is when I turn around and look at it? It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, uh, So, what it what it it, it talks about? uh, Not take the name. The word in vain is to be uh, to be used uselessly, or in emptiness. Take the name of Yahweh, uh, your God, in a useless fashion. We live in a. Well, let me let me go back. I'm I'm the only I'm the best illustration I have in my mind. I, I grew up, of course, in a very strict household, and you never spoke the name of God, or Jesus, or Christ in any way, other than in a reverent biblically-related, worship-related uh, situation, setting. You never just said it. Um, and that's how I grew up. If, if you wanted to, if you wanted to uh, remember the taste of ivory soap, you speak, you speak God, you say God or, or Jesus or Christ, Um, And you would have a a lesson and an illustration that you wouldn't forget. This is how we grew up. And I, you know, I was probably the first. This is interesting. In my recollection, the first person that I ever remember taking the Lord's name in vain in a personal context. Now, I've heard the, you know, what. Gee, you know what? I heard that. Oh, on rare occasions. People just didn't curse like that back in those days. But the first person in a personal conversation that I heard take the Lord's name in vain in the fashion that I just alluded to, of all people, was a a guy in high school. He was a friend of mine, but he was a devout Jew. And I don't know, we were, we were talking about either Easter or Christmas or something. His locker was close to mine, so between classes I may have had a class or two with him through the years, but you know we were always saying something to each other between classes. And I asked him something about what he was going to, about about Christmas, because uh, I was stupid, um, or Easter or some Christian-related holiday. And he laughed and he said, you gee, boom. Christians just kill me. He said, uh, you know, and then he briefly explained what he was doing in his religion. And I thought to myself, he just broke the, command- <laughs> the commandment. See, he took the Lord's name in vain. That's the first time I ever remember somebody doing that flippantly. And I was, that was in high school. You heard it, but I didn't hear people talk to me about it. Or, or say that to me. Although you would hear it occasionally, especially in football practice, uh, but um, other than that, a personal, uh, a personal taking of the, of the Lord's name in vain came from all people. This 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 guy who was a devout uh, Jew. And he had gone through his bar mitzvah and all this kind of stuff. And he could speak the Hebrew language. He used to impress us sometimes in high school when he, would do, when he would say things in Hebrew. But he took the Lord's name in vain. Well, that said, you hear it all the time now. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's difficult for me to watch a movie because I lived in certain eras or in the era of certain movies that are made and people in a farm setting down south or something, and they're cursing and swearing, and I'm saying, that's not true. Now, there may have been some in the swamps of, I don't know if you're from Louisiana or not, but from the swamp somewhere, I don't know. But not in, and I knew quite a few back then when my dad preached country churches. I often talk about how those churches, they would feed him Sunday, they called it dinner. It was really lunch. All the stuff, man, they'd have a table laid out. And this beautiful, wonderful, great smelling food would always be covered with flies. Um, And you had to do this to get your dip of the stuff in the bowl, right? Uh, But it's okay. It tasted good. Um, But those people were farmers, They had outhouses, they didn't have bathrooms. I remember this, we'd eat with them. I tell you, the outhouse is just a disgusting thing. There's oh man. Oh, well, anyway, one particular family, we used to have to go to the well to draw the water for whatever it was to be used to wash our hands or for them to help clean the dishes, whatever they were gonna do. The water came from the well, which was about a good um, 50 yard march from the back porch to the well. And uh, my older brother, he's dead now, he used to come here and bring my mother to church. Uh, I was pretty mean, but I didn't, I paled in comparison to him, okay? <laughs> uh, and I, I, oh, I loved him. He's, <laughs> but he just was different. And he got angry. I worry she, uh, a cat jumped on him and scratched him at this very farm that I'm talking about. He took that cat and drowned it in the well. He, he, he bounded into the bucket and lowered the bucket and just left it there until the cat quit moving. And it was dead. And we didn't tell everybody else that a dead cat had been in the well. Uh, we just kept that to ourselves. Well, that's just an illustration that it was it was divinely given. I feel like, and uh, I knew that someone needed it. <laughs> I tell you, but that's my brother. Oh man, um, he got in a fight with a a gamecock, and okay, you go down to sixty-seven, right, and you hit two thirty-one. If you go left, there's an old stone school. I can't remember the name of the school. Say again. And there's a house next to it made out of the same stone, like the parsonage, but it's where the principal lived. And that principal was my dad's best friend in teacher school at Jacksonville State. That's, that's all you had. You didn't have a college. There was a two-year teacher school, Jacksonville teacher school. So he, he was principal there all of his life, but he used to raise chickens, and he had, he had fighting game cocks, back there. his son did. And my brother would go out there. Every time we visited these people, he would put on the gloves and he would go and fight with these Gamecocks. I would watch it. I didn't want any part of it, but uh, I would watch uh, what they did. And this was always on a Sunday. We would always visit. So, so there was a little irreverence there. Uh, and he would vow to kill that one particular rooster that was there. He never could catch it <laughs> He never could. He'd try, but he couldn't catch it. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't observing, observing the Sabbath very well, was he? All of that said to say this. People do things, even in their behavior, not just their speech, but especially God's people. They're, they're taking the name of Yahweh into an emptiness or uselessness, which is a violation Of one of the commandments. You shall not lift or take. It can be translated the same way. You you, You shall not lift or take up the name of Yahweh. Uselessly or worthlessly. Without worth. So when you look at some of the Psalms for example. You see how God's people treated the greatness of his name. The psalmist says you have placed uh, your word above all of your name. That tells you how exalted the word is because his name uh, is something that when taken uselessly would cost a person his life uh, among God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, Job is believed to be by many scholars the first of the written books of the Bible, book of Job. And I have no reason to doubt that. And if it is, it's interesting that the first inspired, chronologically, the first inspired word given to the people of God is a tale of of the righteous suffering. Of of the interest of Satan in trying to destroy the people of God and and all that he has. And the, 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 the perseverance of God's people. Well, speaking of the name of God, it seems that from time to time people lose sight of the greatness of God. And Job, if you if you study that, Job in his suffering, he weakens from you know he's in a terrible state. Things are happening to him, and then he's got these three so called friends that are really, you know, what'd you do, Job? Come on, come clean. We know nobody suffers like this unless God does it to him because he's done. Job, I am, and you know they make fun of him that he's lying about not having done anything, and then. And then, of course, his wife cursed God and died, Job. Here, then, Job seems to, in his weakness and in, a, and in what had happened to him all the way through the book, he just, it's not that he questions God, but it is that he almost slips in his thoughts and diminishes who God is a little bit. And so the last chapters, God shows up and, and he asks these questions. And in asking the questions, God established some of the greatest, really scientific, theology, who God is as creator. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and, and the, uh, the, star, the stars sang out and the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you? That's an interesting passage to me because in the in the formation of earth it's formed for those whom god would call to himself and those who were earliest to me to me and earliest in his creation would have been his angels and they shouted for joy knowing that this whole business is taking place and god shows himself and reveals himself in his greatness in his conversation with job and then job just sort of collapses and he said i, I, I you know who am i you've, you've 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 shown me and taught me and i am nothing god does it to show the great the great distance between who he is and who we are and we should never forget that but one of the ways that people show their lack of respect for god and how trivial they treat him is in how easily they speak his name, call out his name, curse his name in cursing, or just uh, or just in mundane conversation, oh God, or oh Jesus, or oh Christ, or something like this. It's a terrible it's a terrible thing, it's an abomination. The people of God should be extraordinarily careful because if you're around it enough, uh if you're around it enough, you're liable to spout the same thing that other people around you are spouting off, and we can't do this because then it it reveals an unsanctified and an impure behavior, which we'll look at here in just a second. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, uh, in an in a useless and empty way. For Yahweh, and here's the response of Yahweh to that: Yahweh will not hold blameless. The word the 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 Hebrew word. It means without guilt or or guiltless, to to be without guilt. You're guilty. God says you're guilty if you do this. Who wants to stand guilty before God? For Yahweh will not hold you guiltless who takes his name in vain in such a way. Now that moves to the second of these two commandments that we're looking at here tonight. And that is Sabbath-keeping kind of interesting because you'll note that this this uh this commandment does not have thou shalt not or thou shall it doesn't start out that way like other commandments it's different it's unique keep it says shamar the the Hebrew word means to observe and uh, It's a stronger word than just that. If you really extract the true meaning, it means to cautiously observe or or to beware. Beware of, of how you treat the Sabbath. Cautiously observe, stringently observe the Sabbath day, number one, to keep it holy, to separate it from all the other days as Yahweh your God commanded you. The sanctification of a day. We we know that the Sabbath is a is a thing that comes from God because today, all over the world and, and ever since creation, people have measured time in weeks, in seven day intervals, because the Bible establishes the truth that God did to begin with. He started out with six days and then on the seventh day, he rested. And then it became that the eighth day was the first day of the next week and that's why uh, young Hebrew, young, young Israelite male children were circumcised on the eighth day. They would live in the flesh for seven days, signifying a completion. But then on the eighth day, a new thing, a new day of the week. Uh, a new thing would happen and his flesh would be cut away. Uh, And and the fact that there are seven days in a week establishes the truth that God himself established, uh, even in pagan societies, that the the week is divided into seven days and the seventh is the Shabbat. It's the, the seventh day. Now, it's that seventh day that Yahweh, their God, commanded them to set it apart from all other days. It is implied in that that God's people commend every day to him. They understand that our lives as God's people are to always be considered holy before the Lord. And and we're to be vigilant and and diligent in all that we do for the Lord. And it happens, but we're given six days of those seven that we can work. But that seventh has to be a day of rest and, and, and I would add to that a day of reflection so that God's people would do nothing else but think of the great God who made them, who made time, who placed us in time and who gives his people uh, the opportunity to rest and in that rest a time of uh, of reflection now here's how deep this goes six days you may work and perform all your labor and the seventh day but the seventh day is a sabbath to Yahweh your god you shall perform no labor now you'll notice here it's not just this per a, an individual worshiper But it is all for whom and for which he is responsible. Look at this. Perform no labor, neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your donkey, nor any of your livestock, nor the stranger who is within your cities, in order that your uh, manservant and your maidservant may rest like you. So there is a responsibility To the household head, head of the household, there is a responsibility to see to it that his equipment and those for whom he is responsible join with him in this rest, which the fact that you would rest on the Sabbath as Yahweh rested indicates that it's a reflection of the reality of Yahweh, that we are his and that we have given Although our lives are his, we have given this special day just to him so that our minds aren't aren't on anything else but him, who he is, what he's done, his wonderful word. In their case in that day, uh, his law, the importance of it, the the fact that it kept them uh, the kind of a a culture and society that they should have been, a a lawful and clean and God-honoring people which really separated them uh, from the rest of the world. So you're responsible for making sure that everyone in your household and all of the equipment that you want, everything, rests. <laughs> we, I was 12 years old. I think they had just come out riding lawnmowers. We had, a, uh, we had a riding lawnmower. I loved that thing. It was the closest thing to a go-kart I ever had and daddy had a pretty big yard and uh, the first week he got it I couldn't wait to get home I ran in on Sunday after church and changed clothes and went out there and cranked that thing up started spinning around the house and that thing man he popped that screen door open and came out there and took hold of that thing said turn it off okay okay you're looking like you're mowing the lawn on Sunday and you're you're working against the, the Lord's day. We don't do that. I said, I haven't even engaged the blade. Put the thing up. It's not for Sunday. Yes, sir. I put it up. So that was the way my dad was. You didn't do anything on Sunday except go to the restaurant and make the other people work, I guess. <laughs> go, go figure. Uh, uh, but it was a it was a beautiful theology anyway. you had to eat right? So look at the deeper meaning of this you're the head of your household, you're responsible to seeing to it that those for whom you are responsible observe the Sabbath like you do. well what about what about today Christian families? Does that mean that we should require our children to go to church? Absolutely. Absolutely, you can, they may be. They may go kicking and screaming, but it doesn't matter. You have a responsibility. You see, the implication here is they don't really. They don't. They're working on being becoming mature, but the, we have to acknowledge that earlier in their life, they don't really have the maturity to make decisions for themselves. Uh, that includes spiritual decisions as far as uh, obedience to the scriptures. And I think this is is extremely important. Well, we're not, I will hasten to say this as well. Both Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul cautioned the church about how to treat the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for Israel. I understand that. Uh, it It is for the Israelites of the Old Testament. However, the Sabbath becomes the Lord's day in the New Testament. Did you know that every New Testament appearance of the resurrected Christ was on Sunday in the New Testament? He never appeared in his resurrection appearances in the gospel accounts. He never appeared on any other day of the week but the first day of the week on Sunday. Did you know that the day of Pentecost was on Sunday? So what happens is there's an obvious uh, Christian teaching Because Jesus is our Sabbath. He fulfills this for us and we rest in Christ. He is our completed work. He has done the work for us that Jesus Jesus said so from the cross. It's finished. It's completed. It's over. I did it. I did it for you. And so he brings us to himself and he is our rest. So Sabbath for the Christian Christian. Uh, is something that is not the Sabbath, but it becomes the Lord's day. And that is by both example and, I think, teaching uh, and illustration in the New Testament. Because Christ, God on the seventh day rested because he finished, Christ finished on the cross what he came to do. So, we have the Lord's day and we understand that. Uh, and we, we honor, we should honor the Lord's day. What more powerful thing in history could we honor than a man, son of God, who died and who rose again and brings that power of resurrection to his own people? <clears throat> what greater thing could we do? Or how could we honor? What, what better thing than to remember that day Every week that day, and I think there is a, there is a powerful uh, encumbrance. Well, that's not the right word. Uh, there is a powerful principle that rests upon us as Christians that is as equally powerful as it was uh, to the Hebrew person in the Old Testament. The Lord's day, the power. We had so much more. We have so much more in our Lord's day than they had in their Sabbath. Their their Sabbath was a thing of of fear and uh, their Sabbath was a thing of of, uh, observation in the sense that you didn't want to violate it. On the other hand, our Lord's Day is a time of happiness and worship, a time of reflection when the Christ of God has delivered his people from, from death, delivered us from sin, The cross and then from death itself through all of that into his resurrection. And this is who we are as Christians. And thus, no wonder in the early church, both Christ and the Apostle Paul would warn people about uh, building strict rules to be observed on the Sabbath. Here's why they did that. Those rules could be one thing to one set of leaders And another set of rules to another set of leaders. Uh, And that's not the design of it. Uh, The design of it was that we rest and repose in God. And in that rest, reflect upon him. And so now today, um, and I read this as well. I'm not sure I really knew this. You go back through, through the history of our country. And the history of the Western world. There was a dual observance from, from Christians for hundreds, of you, even today I guess, hundreds and hundreds for, for centuries. And it developed that we're going to observe the Sabbath as a rest day. And so Saturday became the day when nobody worked. They would close down everything and that was an off day for everybody. Saturday that was everybody's off day. And then Sunday was the resurrection day. A day, the day that would be the day of reflection and worship. Uh, That's interesting to me. It doesn't mean anything. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Uh, But it it shows the importance that early early Christians placed on the principle of what was in the Sabbath. And of course, the importance of the day of resurrection, uh, the Lord's Day. Well, all for whom we are responsible and everything for which we are responsible. In the case of this, of that they were responsible for, should be included in the observance of of the holiness of the Sabbath, a sanctified day. This day, I'm not going to give it to the vineyards or the fields or the cattle or the or the animals in the. This day, I am committed to Yahweh. And I am resting, and in that rest, I have nothing better to do than reflect upon my great God and Savior. That's, that's basically the meaning. And all who are under me will do the same thing. So that's how important. Well, if it's important for him, it certainly should be important through him to the rest of them if he, as he did, had that authority. And you should remember, the, the next thing about this is that the Sabbath they understood this the Sabbath was also a sign of the covenant of God between himself and his people and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt that's one of the reflections on the Sabbath and that Yahweh your God took you out from there with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm so You and I could say, certainly, see, okay, the people could not do a thing for themselves. They were enslaved. They could not not free themselves. Only God could set them free, only the intervention of God. Otherwise, they were enslaved and there was nothing they could do about it. So then, when we look at this and we think of this, it should also be mindful of them and of us that covenant relationship that God establishes is by grace. It would remind the people of their helplessness and of God's um, absolute power over anything in the world so that he could deliver his people from slavery. You move that into a New Testament setting, everyone is, is, is born as a slave in sin, a slave to sin. Only God can release us from that enslavement. Otherwise, we are a slave to sin uh, and to Satan. There's nothing we can do about it. So in that sense, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a kinship between what is said there and how we regard grace. This is a covenant relationship that they would be remembering, especially every Sabbath, Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Yahweh your God took you out from there with a strong hand, outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So you see, it's not just, if you look at this, all that Moses said to them, it isn't just that they are to rest and to be focused on on Yahweh and not on their work and, and other stuff. But it's also a day of reflection. While you're resting, why don't you remember what God did for you in the land of Egypt? Now, that that same promise, that same covenant follows them even to the time that Moses is speaking uh, to this younger generation. Uh, This this, uh, call to remembrance uh, is also telling this generation going over, every Sabbath as you rest... Reflect on the mighty hand of God, who brought you out of slavery in Egypt, something that you could have never done for yourself. Only God did it for you. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll be dismissed and we will brave the uh, tidings of blizzard tonight. Hope you have your eggs and mayonnaise or whatever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, how we thank you for your word. Teach us, Lord, to be more reverent in our lives and to be careful and to live our lives recognizing the holiness that you've established upon us. Bless us, we pray, in all that we seek to do for you. In Jesus' name, amen.